This episode of the Managing Madrid podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming. It's time to end the days where shaving your balls ends up looking like a horror movie. The folks at Manscaped have the perfect package for your package to get this done. The below-the-waist grooming leaders have a fourth-generation performance package, and inside, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, liquid formulations, and two free gifts. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code MANAGINGMADRID at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code MANAGINGMADRID. Slay your worst pubes and keep your dagger clean with Manscaped. This episode is also brought to you by Bisha Hotel in downtown Toronto, where you should be booking your stay when you come see us at the Managing Madrid podcast live in Toronto on Saturday, October 23rd. That's the El Clasico preview show at the Flatiron Firkin Pub. Again, Saturday, October 23rd. Link to those tickets are in the show notes. Go reserve your spot ASAP. Uh, thanks to everyone who came out to Los Angeles, by the way, on the, on the kickstart to the World World Tour last weekend. That was a ton of fun. We had six different Managing Major Podcast hosts in attendance. That's probably the most we'll ever have. Um, so good on you if you made it out to that. And woe on you if you failed to make it up to that. But if you missed out, fear not. We're traveling all around the world. So Toronto, October, Dallas, November, New York, December, Miami, January, London, February, Washington, D.C. in March, Chicago in April, and Mumbai in May. So if you heard any of those cities and they're close to you at all, make sure to book your spots. The link to all those cities are in the show notes. By the way, Bisha Hotel in Toronto, incredible rooftop patio and bar at nighttime, and it overlooks the CN Tower right in downtown. And I love the way Katie Nanton of Nuovo Magazine describes it. She says, and quote, a preserved brick facade and towering black doors give the Bisha Hotel a mysterious street presence but step inside the lobby and a welcoming sultriness awaits with a touch of drama. A metallic fuchsia Jeff Koons sculpture here, a velvet curtained entrance to the moody Mr. C bar there, and through another doorway, a staircase slathered in gold paint climbs up to the eponymous restaurant of Michelin star Japanese chef Akira Back, end quote. Bisha Hotel in Toronto, that's B-I-S-H-A, Bisha Hotel in Toronto, right basically next to the CN Tower overlooking the Sky Dome in the heart of downtown. Go book your stay there when you book our sh- book your show tickets to the Toronto Podcast. Uh, and today's episode, without further ado, we'll get right to it. Ewan McTeer joins myself, Keon Sabani, to break down a loss to Espanol. Not a fun one to cover, to be honest, but uh, at the very least, interesting to go over the tactical wrinkles, Ancelotti's decisions, his post-game quotes, all that stuff. And looking ahead to the upcoming schedule beyond the international break and rotations and tactics, everything. So let's get right to it. Enjoy the episode and enjoy your Sunday night. Despite the loss, we do our best to give you the best therapy you possibly can. Here is the Manager Major Podcast, Espanol Post Game Show. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And To a Sunday night edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Keon Sobani, and we are here after Real Madrid lost 2 1 to Espanol. It's crisis mode, everything, alarm bells are ringing, sound the alarm, sell everybody, bring in Raul de Tomas, bring in everyone that scored against us today, bring in Alex Fidel, we need him, we need to sell Vinicius. It's, it's time, the crisis is upon us. It's, it took until October, which is impressive that we, we, we made it this far without everything imploding. Obviously, I'm being a bit dramatic and making fun about the reaction a little bit, but there are things to be concerned about as a Real Madrid fan, which we'll get to. And joined by, I believe, the first time this season, I'm joined by Ewan McTeer. So, Ewan, welcome back to the show, and how are you doing? 
Yeah, first time of the season. Good to good to be with you. I think I've arrived just in time, like you say, for the <laughs> the first crisis of of the season. Ancelotti warned us about this about two weeks ago. He said everything's good, but um, crisis will come. And you know, Ancelotti, um, he knows what he's talking about in a lot of things. He's been here before. He knows that. I do. I do enjoy his press conferences when we lose. Like this is the this is the good thing about him is that you get some very candid responses from him whether it's a win draw loss it's a very realistic take he's not sugarcoating it he's not being political he's not trying to dance around the bushes he's basically just to the point today he said we were bad this was the worst game of the season there's no way around it um and he was very candid and vocal about that we'll, we'll come back to the Ancelotti quotes I just want to congratulate you on a week great weekend also Atletico beat Barca yesterday and Espanyol beat Real Madrid today and uh, you know, maybe this is not the weekend. I, I believe Real Sociedad have a chance to be up top by the end of the weekend. Do they not? Um, they if do, they win, but I think they're losing the Tafi. Yeah, they're currently the down one nil. So maybe that was La, bad. La Liga got crazy. La Liga got crazy in the past week. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a crazy crazy time to be a, a La Liga fan. It's very unpredictable, which is nice. Um, just I guess for the, the league as a whole. You have 11th place Villarreal, you have 9th place Barcelona, you have Real Sociedad. Who could, if they turn it down, they could possibly be at the top of the league by the end of the match day. But Real Madrid Atletico tied on points. And um, I believe we have a derby coming up in December, a Clasico coming up at the end of the month. So it's going to be fascinating to keep track of all this. Um, I guess we can start with the starting lineup, Ewan, because when I looked at that, I was kind of excited because it was, you know, we had Kamavinga, Modric, and Kroos together. Obviously, that hasn't happened yet this season because Kroos has been injured and Modric has been in and out of the lineup and Kamavinga has been off the bench sometimes. Or, you know, Kroos comes in, Kamavinga comes off. So as a starting unit, the three of those together, um, I was intrigued to see that. You know, we've seen so many years of Casemiro, Modric, and Kroos together. And, you know, we've seen so many great things come out of that trio um, we've had some concerns, you know, based on the last few performances on Casemiro, whether he's burnt out, maybe he's playing a lot of minutes, he's been out of form, he's been having trouble under pressure, as has been the case, case his whole career. But um, it seemed to have been amplified what he's going through the last few games, just kind of dealing with some some kind of discomfort. I don't know what it is, but maybe he's tired or maybe it's just poor form and it'll pass. I'm not sure. But all that being said, I was excited to see what Kamavinga can bring to the table. But it's kind of also just weird because you don't really know. Uh, I forget which commentator it was. Maybe it was Stuart Robinson who, like, when they were announcing the starting lineups and they were talking about the team sheet in the pregame, he was saying, you know, we didn't really know what this team was going to look like. Uh, we, we saw the starting 11. We saw the names who are going to be put forth on paper. But who's playing where? You have four central midfielders in the team. Kamavingo played this weird left-back role against Sheriff for a brief period of time. Fede Valverde played right back before. So it turns out when you see this unfold, you and it's like a 4-4-2. Um, there's quite a bit of interchangeability and fluidity, but you had Modric and Cruz as a double pivot. Kamavingo on the left, Fede Valverde on the right, Benzema Vinicius up top, with Vasquez right back, Nacho left back. Um, so I'm curious to know what you thought of the starting lineup, um, and was there anything that maybe caught your eye or something that you wanted to keep your eye on? Yeah, I mean, well done for rhyming all that off because it was it was quite confusing. Like you say, when they were announcing the lineups, when they were putting those big giant human graphics that squash the actual players before the match, I was looking at that and it kind of shrugged my shoulders. I was like, okay, let's wait and see for these big giant graphics to move out of the way and let's see what the team actually looks like because there were so many question marks. It was even as simple as uh, Alaba and Nacho, who was going to be left back, who was going to be centre back. Once again, there was a change and it was Alaba on the left and Nacho in, in centre-back. Most lineups got that wrong. And then, yeah, just how exactly do all these midfielders uh, fit into each other? Uh, is, is Valverde playing way up top or or what's going on? And it was, yeah, like you say, in the end, it was a, a 4-4-2. But with that midfield just so fluid, but so fluid as to be disorganised, really. I mean, when you looked at it, you had, you know, Kroos and Modric in the middle, Kamavinga, uh, kind of, to be fair, mostly stayed on the left, but Valverde was was so rarely on the right side. Um, and you don't know if it's because that was his instruction. You don't know if he just went wondering um, if he maybe got a bit too excited about the instruction to interchange. But 
there was basically no right side of Real Madrid in this game. The right side was Lucas Vazquez, um, and that was it. Because also in attack, with without having two wingers, there was nobody because you've got the two up front was Benzema, who plays round about the penalty area, drifts around, but mostly central. And then you had Vinicius on the left. So when you looked at it, Real Madrid's attacks were just all down the left, all down the left. And Espanol just very simply, Kaidi Bear, the, well, by the way, maybe best name in La Liga. Um, he just shifts over a little bit to the right, the defensive midfielder there for uh, for Espanol, the one that protects their back line. He just shifts a little bit, keeps his position a little bit more to the right and just blocks that off. And there was, the game was basically just played down in the first half, down the near touchline, down the uh, sideline, which was even more strange that the coaches were... Uh, right there on top of it and there was all the space on the other side and every time Real Madrid tried to switch the play the balls were just pretty terrible there was a couple of, of really terrible hospital passes going towards Lucas Vasquez that he had no chance of controlling because um, the long balls from, from maybe Cruz were not just as crisp as usual so it was very strange very uh, fluid that midfield but what stood out to me was just how much it went down the left and how simple it was for Espanyol to just put an extra body there and crowd it out yeah, I think you hit on several important key theme themes of this game, which I think we can unpack. Like, to me, like the issue of, you know, playing on one side and maybe, you know, trying to get it out to Lucas Vasquez without success. The idea of that in theory is not too, you know, it's not that foreign to Real Madrid, who are so used to funneling possession on the left side and then switching it to Danny Carvajal, sucking in the defense on one side and switching it. But obviously that, that play becomes much less efficient if you're not funneling possession that well. And Lucas Vasquez is having trouble controlling those passes and, and providing production on that right side. I also do think, like, to me, it's a quite obvious, Ewan, but um, maybe it, it didn't seem that way necessarily to Carlo Ancelotti because he didn't speak about this in the post-game presser, and I, and I was hoping he would. But um, two consecutive games now, you had little production from the wingbacks. Against Villarreal, they just got no production there. And obviously some of this will have to do with the fact that um, there are no real pure wingbacks in the team right now. Like Mendy and Marcelo are still not ready to play match fitness. Carvajal is injured. Um, and right now there is there seems to be little to no trust in Miguel Gutierrez, who I think is worth a shot and I think wouldn't have been worse than what we saw today from Nacho. So that that's one issue, and, and we and I know Lucas and I actually discussed this quite a bit on the Thursday mailbag that you know Miguel has his defensive issues and he's had his lapses, but um, who hasn't this season? And certainly Nacho has. I mean, he's he had a big gamble, which has led to a goal out the, the Alex Vidal goal, and Miguel offensively can actually provide you with crosses, and you know you look at the crosses today: Vasquez eight crosses, Alaba eight crosses, um, and he can put some good crosses in on the left. So that's one thing, but I'm, I'm kind of surprised as to why, given that there's no production from the wingbacks, we don't have pure wingbacks in the team right now, why not play with wingers to stretch the field a bit? And I think that was something that was quite obvious to me. I noted this in the first half that you might as well bring in Rodrigo at halftime, and that is what happened. So I guess maybe it was clear to Ancelotti at some point watching this game that you just needed to decongest this a little bit. Um, you had Kamavinga often getting the ball on the left side, or maybe it was Alaba, maybe it was Nacho. It was kind of a mishmash of all those three and players all over the place. And Vinicius was just tucked in two centrally, and Espanyol did such a good job. Like anytime there was a vertical pass into Modric or Kamavinga, and they would try to turn, like three to four Espanyol players would just converge on him, steal the ball, and all of a sudden they had numbers in transition with, with Real Madrid's midfielders out of place because of the fluidity you mentioned early on. Um, so one of the clear solutions to me was just spread this out a little bit. You know, there's a lot of bodies in the middle. You don't have anyone taking players on the wings because Vinicius is central and you don't have wingbacks doing that right now either. So why not bring in some flair on the wings? So I think Rodrigo helped a little bit. Um, and immediately you saw like within a couple minutes on coming on in the second half, he took players on, he was cutting inside. Maybe not that successfully, but at least he was trying it. So that's just one thing that stood out to me is like, it seemed obvious to me that if you're not going to have wingbacks, you're not going to trust Miguel, then at least unglue the middle of the park a little bit and just get, get yourself some width. Yeah, I think you're right about the wingback. I think it's all about the wingbacks, to be honest. Like the, the problems we've seen in this game, in the Sheriff game as well, when uh, the final um, 20 minutes was this weird hybrid formation that looked just a little bit chaotic and and disorganized. I think it all comes down to 
to think back to the point you mentioned, the fact that Carvajal and Mondi, who are by far the obvious starters, apart from Courtois and Benzema, they're like the main Knicks guys you have to have in every team sheet when everybody's fit. And they don't have them. They've not had them pretty much all season. Carvajal came back to say hello and then he got injured again. So they don't have those guys. And I think it's kind of like, you imagine you have a leak in your roof. You you plug that leak. I mean, the water's still there. It's going to create another hole somewhere else. And I think that's kind of what Ancelotti's doing. He's trying to find solutions to solve the wing-back issue. And by doing that, he's also uh, jeopardising, hampering his midfield at the same time. And yeah, it would have been good to get a bit more insight from Ancelotti in the press conference. But there was one answer um, that kind of touched on this. He was asked about why he moved Alaba to left-back and put Nacho centre-back when he previously said he would rather it the other way around and and what he said was that he put Alaba left because he thought he could help in the attack and he, he did that um, in the first half and that, he didn't go into much detail there but I think he was hinting at the fact that when he doesn't have any natural good solid attack and win-backs um, he decided he would put Alaba there because he was better uh, than Nacho and Ancelotti obviously realised he needs to do something in that position but yeah, going back to what you said, I think there's an obvious solution is, is Mikel Gutierrez, but for some reason Ancelotti just doesn't quite seem to trust him. He mentioned it specifically, the the Inter Milan game away in the Champions League. He said, I don't think Miguel has the, the sufficient experience for this kind of game, but I mean, Espanyol away on a sunny Sunday afternoon kind of felt like the right kind of Miguel Gutierrez game to me. Yeah, and, and I think actually like Carlo's explanation of why he put Alaba's left back makes sense to me because he is a better attacking fullback than Nacho and he provides more offensive ability than Nacho does. He provides better ball progression. I think the problem is he's also a better center back than Nacho is too. Mm. And so you got to pick your That's what I, that, that goes back to what I'm saying is the thing by trying to fix this problem with the fullbacks and wingbacks is you're creating problems elsewhere by trying to plug yeah. this hole. And, you know, it is a problem that Ancelotti is going to have to deal with because Carvajal and Mondi are quite... Uh, injury prone but at the same time once they come back um, this is a problem that shouldn't really be needing addressed but right now um, yeah it doesn't seem to have a solution and yeah it's kind of yeah like you say it affects the centre backs affects the midfield it even affects what you're doing in the front three a little bit um, it all starts at the wing backs and it, it changes your whole your whole eleven. yeah I mean I guess like I'm counting me as like in the in the camp that's a bit perplexed as to why Miguel wasn't isn't more trusted like I, I i get nacho's experience i get that nacho's been a, a really good player for a long time now i know the the very popular narrative with him among real madrid fans right now is that he's not a good player and stuff because we've you know he has had a bad season to, so far to be fair uh i'm not ready to forget the great performances he put in last season him and milis how and ramos and Varane were injured but right now it's not great but um uh i i think like to me and i know ancelotti feels this way too because he's outright come and said that Alaba's best position is center back. I, you know, when we signed him from Bayern, to me, his best position was always going to be left center back. He's going to play multiple different positions because that's who he is. But his, if you have everyone healthy, you want him as a left center back. Um, I think like Miguel just can, 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 you can patch together a good shift from Miguel um, at the left back position offensively I trust him I think he's going to put good crosses in he plays vertical he moves well between the lines um, again defensively sure he's going to be he's going to be struggling but who hasn't been struggling defensively it's not going to be worse than what we saw today um, and 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 kind of you look at the way that Alaba played from a defensive standpoint this is the thing with Alaba too he's always going to leave space behind him as a left back this has been true with Bayern this has been true with Austria it's been true at Real Madrid so far this season and Ancelotti did mention also after the game that, like, you know, Alaba did leave space. And I'm kind of paraphrasing. You also watched the press conference he wrote about, so you, maybe you could help me out here. But something along the lines of, like, Alaba was not... He had to cover position, different positions on that wing, but he also didn't have coverage from other players. Like, no one else was helping him, too. So, I think... Yeah, like you, that's exactly you, it. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was asked, basically, there was a lot of space behind Alaba and kind of asked why that was and he said you know that wasn't on Alaba I told him to push forward and if there was space behind him it was the midfield's fault the midfield in general um he said and you saw that on the opening goal very mm -hmm. clearly like it was trying 
it was very hard to decipher what was happening there. But after watching it a few times, you kind of saw the idea that Real Madrid have a high line. There's going to be space behind Alaba and there's going to be space between Alaba and Nacho in that half space. And Lucas Vasquez, who got torn apart by fans in this game, and I don't necessarily blame them for tearing him apart. He actually had like several important defensive interventions in this game. But on that goal, I thought it was quite harsh that they blamed him on that because he has to track Raul de Tomas like from the other side of the field. Raul de Tomas has a head start on him the whole time. And Militao like, just has to recognize he has to close that cutback and close the passing lane. And I thought that there was just a little help all around. So that... Ancelotti was very vocal about like we weren't in good. He said he mentioned that several times. Our positioning was bad. Our positioning was bad. He he specifically said positioning with the ball, but you know I, I think we could also just go out and say that without the ball it was bad too. I mean you look at some of the issues with the press as well. Like one or two passes could get behind Kamavinga, Cruz, Modric, uh, Fede, the whole midfield, um, and that it's it's hard for me to understand that because. How can you not have control of the game with Kamavinga, Kroos, Modric, and Fede? You have good defensive coverage. You have great passing ability. You have good dribbling ability. You have good uh, good off-ball work rate. You have everything you need in the midfield to control the game, and yet they couldn't. And I think a lot of this will just have to come down to the scheme and the blueprint like we're looking at here. I, I feel like this team needed to control better than it did. Yeah, you have everything you need except positions. I feel like most, I feel like those four players went out into this game not clear what their position was, yeah. either because they hadn't been instructed well enough or just because this was the first time they're all playing together. Um, for Modric and Cruz, it's a bit different. They're used to, I mean, they've played for so many years with that midfield three with Casemiro in the middle. It's something for them. Um, so they have all the, the ability and skill. They just didn't quite know their. Uh, their positions and and I think that was that was the main problem. Everybody interchanging, everybody moving around. That's fine if everybody knows where they're supposed to be, but it just looked a bit chaotic. And yeah, even with the ball, it was whoever had the ball. There was people running behind them, running in front of them. It looked like pre-snap in an NFL game. It was like guys running all over the place. Alaba in front of the ball. It just kind of seemed a bit of a mess. It seemed like something to be honest they hadn't really really worked on. And often you know. We, we often make that easy excuse of, ah, there's not much time for them, the schedule's so packed, there's not much time for them to work on stuff. We're already caught up by now from the, the COVID pause. The players are knackered physically, but in terms of the schedule, the schedule this season is not any different to what it was in 2018, 19, 2017, 18. We're back to the normal schedule. You play twice a week, every top does it. And Jurgen Klopp actually made an interesting point about this week, and he said... The rare times when you have a Champions League game on a Tuesday and you have a, a league game on the Sunday, you actually do have some decent time to work on tactics. And he said that ahead of the Man City game that Liverpool had a bit of an advantage because this week they'd finally been able to work on some things. Real Madrid had that exact same schedule. They played on Tuesday, they played on Sunday, they come back on the Wednesday, have a rest, and then you've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday to actually work on some stuff, um, some tactics. And... You know, Ancelotti said that they've been doing a lot of video work because the players are tired. I wonder how much they, they got them out on the pitch, everybody stand in your position and do a bit of a walkthrough because it kind of just looked like no one really knew. In the midfield, mostly I'm talking about where to go when X player had the ball. I think that's, that's very interesting because at some point this has to be figured out. Like So the fact that they... Look, the headline quote on the, the article you post on Managing Madrid, which recaps mm -hmm. Ancelotti's pressure was, quote, there was confusion and we weren't well positioned. That like summarizes everything that was almost wrong with <laughs> us today. Uh, so it's very obvious that they know what the issue is, but obviously dealing with it is a different issue. So, you know, he said in the, in the past this season where, like, we can't do our training in the game because in the game, it, the intensity is too high. You don't really think about that mm -hmm. stuff. So we do our training by watching film. And and I do wonder, like, this isn't... Actually, like, this doesn't strike me as a Barcelona situation where uh, there were reports in the, the Catalan press after the defeat to Benfica that said the players had no idea they were playing a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3 before, until, like, a couple hours before the game. They hadn't practiced it. They didn't know about it. 
So this doesn't strike me as that. This strikes me as something no. that like they knew this was coming. They knew how to, but like, but you could still, despite that, you could see the c- confusion on the pitch. And I think part of the problem you and Tube is that like the, ref- the, the roles aren't clearly defined and also the roles change from game to game, right? So Kamavinga played some minutes at left back last game. Uh, today he's playing as a fourth center midfielder, midfielder who's going to play on the left a little bit, but also cover for for the midfield. That's not too uncommon, but like I feel like you know with Fede and Lucas Vasquez playing kind of right back sometimes, but sometimes in midfield. Then you have Alaba and Nacho playing in multiple positions. At some point, I feel like you need to have your starting eleven down because you need to gain rhythm. It's not just about rotation and just having depth. It's about having a sustained rhythm, cohesive press. That's the other thing I'm worried about, the press isn't cohesive. You need that sustained team to hit their stride by springtime, but really ideally by, by mid-season. So my question to you is, do you think Ancelotti is still in like this ex- experimental mode where he's trying to figure things out? Obviously injuries haven't helped, that's out of his control, but what do you think he's still trying to figure this out or, or maybe, yeah, like, has he just not figured out who his lineup is yet? Yeah, I think he is still in experimental mode, mostly because uh, it's Kamavinga who's who's the new guy there that I think in his first few appearances showed that he has what it takes to start games. He has what it takes to be impactful, but he only arrived on, well, deadline day. That was a month and, and two days ago. So um, it's not like Kamavinga was there for all of pre-season. It's not like he was there for the first month of the La Liga season. He's only been there for a month. So yeah, Ancelotti's still trying to work out how to how to fit Kamavinga into midfield, and he's such a unique player as well. He's you know can be a box to box player, but you need to have the right mechanisms for that to work, especially when you have you know three midfielders as as uniquely sort of uh, talented as as Modric and Casemiro. They all have things that they're good at. They all have things that they're not good at, and to find that balance where you can also fit Kamavinga into it is. Yeah, you're going to have to experiment to to get it right, and and that's fine. But you know, you can also, I think, experiment a little bit in training a bit more, and at least uh, you know the players come out knowing a bit better what their what their roles were. Because yeah, from that press conference, it seemed that Ancelotti's main point was that he thinks the plan was fine. It was just the players didn't quite understand it, and they lost their composure when they when they conceded the the first goal. And, and maybe that brings us on to another point is the conceding of the first goal has been a bit of a trait this season at, at Real Madrid. They've played 10 games. Only five of those games have they scored the first goal. It's, you know, they start a lot of games the first 10 minutes really well, really intense. And if they don't get that goal in the first 10 minutes, then from about 11, minute 11 to about minute 25, there's a big drop off. And so often they're conceding the first goal round about then and... Uh, yeah, it happened again. It happened against Sheriff. It also happened against Delta Vigo, but they came back. Levante, they were down. And uh, Valencia as well, they managed to come back. It's uh, it's not been great in terms of, of going out and taking the initiative. And they started pretty good today too, I thought. Like, I mean, the build-up mm-hmm. looked fine. You had you had really good just synergy in the, in the build-up phase, playing out of the back out of Espanyol's press. I thought it looked good. You were getting chances and you know i guess i use the word chances loosely but you had things happening you had that like that press initially where you had the vinicius back like to benzema in the box um whose shot was blocked and you had a lot of that where espanol were just scrambling in the box and you had like five bodies just trying to trying to block a shot and it worked so start the start was okay to me um i certainly didn't expect what unfolded and what unfolded was i thought espanol were actually really good and i'll be quite honest i haven't watched espanol much this season um, I, I knew very little about them from a pure like like eye test, like you know scouting them out. I, I didn't really watch them. I, I was actually just pleasantly surprised by them today. Now I will say like when you look at some of the performances, some of the people who had key performances for them today, whether it was Embargo, whether it was Raúl Tomás, whether it was Sergio Darder, these guys, I really felt like we didn't even try to challenge them. Like there were times where Embargo just walks into the box with the ball and it's like anybody going to defend this guy there was another one like even when you had fresh legs Casemiro come in the field um that's the one that's yeah the one. who was it that was was dribbling the ball at that moment I can't remember exactly but Casemiro um, was just kind of jogging back and just looking I at think it that was I think that was dark there I yeah, think that maybe. was dark there yeah yeah so I and in the first half it was in Barba and Dardare was doing it throughout Raul the Thomas you know 
look, I'm just happy for him to be quite honest with you. Like, we watched this guy a lot for the Lone Tracker podcast when he was with Ryo. And we always came away with impressed with him. And he wasn't like just a goal scorer. He could do so much more. He could dribble. He could link up. He was he was a hard worker. He could throw people off the ball. He was strong. Um, I'm happy for him. He, he had a great game. It didn't take, it, like literally 30 seconds after he scored, you saw the managing mentions on Twitter were like, we shouldn't have sold this guy. He's better than Jovic, he's better than Mariano. So it didn't take long for that. But I'm, I'm genuinely happy for him. But my point is, I felt like we just didn't make it difficult for them at all. And uh, maybe that maybe you should have. Just a, just a, just a hunch. Yeah, I mean, it was 2-1, but, and, you know, obviously, Real Madrid had the two uh, disallowed goals, and, you know, they were correctly disallowed, but, you know, um, on a different day, maybe someone's foot is, is a bit more stretched, and someone stays onside, and you score, but at the same time, Espanyol had chances to make it 3-0, 4-0 to kill off. That there, that Dardar one, where um, he was through one-on-one, and Courtois comes out, makes himself big, but Dardar has to score that one there to yeah. make it 3-0 and, and kill it off, so... Um, yeah, it wasn't just the, the two goals. It wasn't just um, you know the ones that we've we've broken down the Vidal and the Thomas ones. There was other opportunities too where um, it could have been a bigger scoreline for for Espanol. So um, yeah, very much um, uh, a win for them as much as a defeat for for Real Madrid. They they did their part. Yeah, in that Dardere one, which was I think in the sixty third minute. Um, there was two like within two minutes of each other, and I think it was that Dardere one where yeah, that was just after the the substitutions, not the the first one which was at halftime, but the the first um, when uh, Casemiro and Jovic came on, um, I think for yeah both Cruz and Modric, and again it's no one then quite knows how everybody lines up and fits, and it takes a little bit of time back to that word experimenting, but you're experimenting in the middle of the game and. You know, nobody quite knows where they're supposed to be, and you know, bang bang, Espanol have two more chances, and um, yeah, it's, it's such a difference from um, the days of Zidane. You know, Zidane would start four three three. The 60th minute, he would change the two uh, wide forwards for two other wide forwards, and that was it. Maybe uh, sometime towards the final 20 minutes, he'd change one of the midfielders. Maybe that was it. That was Zidane's <laughs> substitution policy. With Ancelotti, it's not just that he's making many changes, but he's he's changing so many players all at once. And the the one that really struck me was the other night at the, the Bernabeu, the Sheriff game, where Real Madrid were really struggling. And I looked down and I could see, you know, a few players getting kitted up uh, and I start counting them. It's like, is that four players? Four players going to come on all at once. And then the VAR check happened and then Real Madrid equalised. And I thought, right, surely Ancelotti's got to cancel a couple of these substitutions. You can't be going into pure desperation mode, changing four players, you know, at once. But he did that. And that was when the disorganization returned in that game. So, um, yeah, the substitutions are quite clear. There's not sort of a rhyme or reason or pattern to them, which is good for the keeping the opposition on edge. But it seems a few Real Madrid players, you know, don't quite know um, exactly how, how the shape is supposed to change when when these changes are made i don't either there's there's always a period this season when like midway through the second half where Ancelotti makes his big changes and there's it's never like for like subs and no. you're just trying to figure this out like some kind of huge like there's like a you know that meme where there's like a big like board behind you and all these calculations and it's like this big science project <laughs> you're trying to figure everything out like who's playing where and it's it's like in this game when I saw like you had so the first one was straightforward Rodrigo obviously at on a halftime for Kamavinga mm-hmm. but the other ones it was like so you had in the 60th minute Jovic and Casemiro for Modric and Cruz and then uh, just five minutes later you had uh, Hazard for Vinicius right yeah that that one was pretty straightforward but there's mm-hmm. always like a time and for me it was the second set of subs where I'm just like I'm not gonna think about this right now I'm just gonna watch it and see what happens because the amount of chaos and the the position just kind of flying all over the place you don't really know what's going on um and so i always feel like that way like midway through the second half where Ancelotti makes like one or two changes that are just not for like for like and you're just trying to decipher what's going on and it and it's kind of hard to figure out but i think like i i look i i like the fact that he's making subs because i think that one of the complaints we had under zidane was that he just never 
never reactive. It was, or, it was too predictable. It was yeah, too predictable, predictable and, and sometimes not reactive at all. And sometimes it wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't quite like Gareth Southgate level where he just didn't make <laughs> any subs at all. But it was like enough where it's like the 75th or 80th, 80th minute and Real Madrid clearly have glaring holes and struggles and things that aren't working. And it's just just death by repetition. And you're just like, man, we can't keep doing this. It's not going to work. So actually, I, I'm glad he at least tries to move the needle a little bit. But um, but there is <laughs> the thing with it, Ewan, is that there's more chaos under Ancelotti than the, than Zidane had in his last two seasons, which can provide you more goals, more more defensive instability. And at some point, when the offense dries up, which in the last two games, two to three games, has, um, it it becomes an issue. Because your defense yeah. isn't getting any better, right? and and but this is this is also what we all signed up for. I think you guys said it on on the first pod. I think you, Matt, and Ohm after the the Alaves game was, you know, this is going to be a fun season. This is going to be chaos. This is going to be we'll score a lot of goals. We'll concede a lot of goals. Uh, win some, lose some, um, and do you know what? I think that everybody after uh, a couple of years of you know winning football, but a bit boring sometimes under Zidane. Everybody's going to sign up for that. And if you want to have, you know, thrilling matches like the 5-2 against Celta Vigo, you've got to take this 2-1 against Espanyol too because, um, you know, right now, at least in experimental mode, they come together, they come as a package. Yeah, and we'll see if it pays off or not. I think Ohm, like me and Matt, were more excited about bad defense, good offense than Ohm was. (laughs) Uh, But... I think Ohm's a purist. That's <laughs> I get Ohm's like just this boring tactical guy who just wants to sit in his basement and decipher tactics. But I just want to see goals and winning. But I think like we'll see where this lands at the end, at the end of the season because like chaos was fun under Zidane at his peak because we had Ronaldo and Bale at their peaks. Mm. So like you were okay with whatever was happening because you knew just something good was going to happen offensively and we'd figure out a way to win. And Ramos would fly into the box and, and get on the end of headers in the 90th minute. So it worked. But like here, I, I guess like I don't think our offense is as good as it was to start the season. But I also don't think it's as bad as we've seen in the last three years. It probably is somewhere in the middle. So this wasn't like quite... Because we always knew there was going to be a regression to the mean. I don't think the, the mean is what we've seen in the last two games. I also don't think it's what we saw at the beginning of the season. Probably somewhere in the middle. So like... You know, if Vinicius lands somewhere to 10 to 15 goals and Benzema, there's, it would be unbelievable to me if Benzema sustained this. I mean, but... Yeah, Benzema can we talk to... about Benzema for a moment? Yes, Because, yeah. I mean, the the goal he scored was the typical one where it just looks like you're just dribbling away from the space and he still manages to fight to finish it. He scores another one. Um, he sets up that hazard one. They're both ruled out, but still. And uh, I saw a stat, let me find this, about just how... Um, how impressive, yeah. So, uh, over the first eight rounds of, of a rally season, um, the only players who've ever over eight rounds participated in more than 14 goals with goals or assists are Ronaldo once, Messi once, and Benzema this year with nine wow. goals and six assists. Um, so good company, but also, um, when you say Ronaldo once, Messi once, have only uh, had you know 14 goal participations over eight matches. Benzema's just leading this whole thing. You're right. Will he keep it up? It, it's going to be tough, but you know he doesn't. He doesn't seem to be slowing down. He didn't slow down at the end of last season either. So yeah, maybe the, the difference is is that he's playing for France this year, and um, that brings its own challenges when he inevitably picks up an injury after you know the November international break or or something like that. But um yeah, yeah don't rule it out well the goal he scored today was incredible and like it was one of those things where it was like it was hard to celebrate because like we were all so mad like what the hell is this performance and everything is bad this is bad espanol are tearing us apart it should be three nil then out of nowhere i think it was rodrigo who played the ball out of the back really well to jovic Jovic lays it off to Benzema, and Benzema had so much to do in that moment still. There were mm. so many defenders in front of him. He just keeps on dropping his shoulder, pass one, drop shoulder again, pass the other one, fake a shot, pass the other one, and then curls it around the keeper, and it was such a beautiful goal. Like, it, it really just, like, wow. It was, it, it felt like, man, if we pull this out, I mean, good good for us, I guess, to, to pull it out here, but we almost did. Um, and, and that Hazard goal was beautiful, too, before being ruled mm. out, but... 
Benzema yeah, everybody should keep that one in mind. I think the Hazard goal. You know, when everybody says Hazard's finished, you know, um, that one doesn't count. But it happened. Like he did hit the ball that well into the net. Doesn't count. But um, you know, it's uh, he thought that he was onside. So um, it's the same as I think we're saying with Jovic. You know, in his first season, you know, he scored a lot of offside goals. He hit the post and stuff. Like they don't count in the goals tally, but you know. They, they are actual real pieces of football that are happening that are good. So, you know, we can remember the, the pieces that happen in this this twilight zone that, that doesn't really exist in VAR, but, you know, it was good from Hazard. Well, people don't care about process. They only care about results. So it doesn't matter. I mean, like, we've, we've, been, we've been criticized so much because we point out things that Jovic does off the ball and... No one cares because they just want to see score score goals. I remember this is the most famous example. Ewan is like when in, mm. I think it was Be- Ronaldo's last year at Real Madrid. Benzema was really really missing a lot of easy chances, mm. and you you know it's it's hard to believe like how far he's come from just that season alone. But uh, Ohm made a video of like this tactical breakdown of everything that Benzema does off the ball and his defensive work rate and people got so mad. They were like, that's not what a striker's supposed to do. We don't care. We want to see score goals. Um, but, but Benzema's come good since then. He had also, just to put some more numbers on it today, eight shots, four key passes, four completed dribbles. I just feel like there's like a baseline with him that regardless of if Real Madrid play well or not, he's going to just, he's going to continue this tear he's on he's on fire he's like he's basically just been a human torch this season and part of the reason is he's the one player who has a position you know him and Courtois know where they go you know Courtois goes behind the, the sticks and Benzema goes up to the other penalty area and this is his magic is drifting around from there yeah. they go out there and they know where their position are the other nine players right now every week they're not quite sure where their position is either in terms of their being changed position every week from left back to centre back, you know that's the thing with Nacho. A lot of criticism of Nacho after this game, it wasn't good. But you know, keep in mind this guy's had to play right back, left back, and left centre back over the first you know two months of the season. Um, I don't know exactly how many times he's played at each, but it's pretty even. I think he's played at right back a couple of times, left back maybe three, and centre back maybe like three or four. So. You know, he's been split completely. And I imagine he doesn't know until maybe the day before each game where exactly he's going to be next. And there's other players in the midfield and Vinicius doesn't know if he'll start or play or whatever. Benzema and Courtois know each week what they're going to be playing more or less. And I think that helps for them to to keep some consistency. And for the rest, it's it's a bit more difficult to um, to have consistent playing time. And even if you are playing, to have a consistent position. Benzema, by the way, just one goal away from being the fourth highest mm. score in Real Madrid history. Yeah, he matched Santillana, yeah. Yeah, he tied Santillana today, so that ties him on fourth. So then after that, it's just only Di Stefano, Raul, and Cristiano Ronaldo. And crazy only, to think about... Only. You said only, Kian. Only. Only. Crazy to think about. He's only... eight. He'll only be 18 goals, I think, away from Di Stefano's 308 goals. Mm-hmm. Or is it 19? Yeah. Um, it's pretty. And he pretty surpassed. Uh, he surpassed Raul in Champions League goals. Yeah, um, I think on uh, when Tuesday against Sheriff. Mm. So yeah, it's just. I mean, it's it's incredible to think about. I mean, really, really incredible to see how much of a legend he's become. He's 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 been here for twelve years now. Moved up and who knows how many more. I mean, there was yeah. a comment in a Ancelotti press conference. I feel like we should just talk about Ancelotti press conferences because he actually says stuff. But he actually, a couple weeks can, ago, if you could just turn his quotes into the post game podcast and we could be done with it, it he's actually much, that, much. that in detail with his quotes. I mean, we could ask him if he wants to come on, I doubt it. But instead, if he doesn't want to come on, I'll just come on and re tell everybody what he said about an hour beforehand. But a couple of weeks ago in the press conference, he was asked about Benzema and Ballon d'Or. We're getting to that season. Um, and he said, yeah, of course, he's got to be a candidate. He's like, but, you know, even if he doesn't win it this year, he's got many more years where he could win it because he's only getting better. You're like, well, like, you know, when you look at players past 30 and they're having a season that might be or a calendar year that might be Ballon d'Or worthy, you think, OK, if they don't win it now, then that's kind of it. But Ancelotti is on the, of the mindset that, you know, he's had a great 2021, but 2022, 2023 might be even better. So 
Um, that's some some nice optimism from from the boss. I wanted to talk to you about Hazard really quick. I think because you mentioned the shot and stuff, I actually mm. think he's low key had a good season. Mm. He's been he's been okay. I think there's been you know some performances have been better than others. I think against Sheriff, um, you know, he, he did most of his quote unquote damage that really wasn't technically damage because they didn't score. But in the first half, he was he was quite good. Um, gets into the right spots, does the right things. I mean, he's just a different player now at the stage of his career. I thought he's been, he think, think he's been okay. He's fine off the bench today as well. Are you surprised that, you know, in a game that Real Madrid are down 2-0, they need goals? Eden Hazard's stock has fallen so much that he's not even among the first three subs off the bench in a situation where you need to score? I mean, I might be surprised, but I'm not surprised by, like we're saying, anything when it comes to Ancelotti's substitutions. I mean, there's been other times where Hazard, you know, there and ready, you know, one of the first to warm up and, and be an option, um, you know. Um, he said that the Inter game, um, his first plan was to put on Hazard. In the end, things changed. He, he changed his mind. So Hazard certainly in the thinking sometimes to be the solution. But other days, maybe like well, um, he won't be. I guess when you already put on Jovic, um, then it's going to take a while before you you get desperate enough to put on another forward um, in Hazard. Maybe you just wait until finishes burns out. And make that like for like sub. So, yeah, I mean Hazard. I think you're right. He's had a he's had a yeah low key decent season. I think we just have to reevaluate what Hazard is. He's he's not going to be Chelsea Hazard. That's just gone. Um, even if he was still at Chelsea, he wouldn't be uh, the player he was a few years ago. And he's not going to play every game. Angelotti said that too. Um, he can't you know play uh, two matches as a, in a row as as a as a starter. So. That's fine. I think Ancelotti is managing them well. He'll start them occasionally. Uh, the Valencia game where he, he was quite impactful, and then maybe next game he doesn't play almost at all. The next one as a sub, but then a starter. And you know, if you can manage Hazard like that and keep him free from injuries, that's better than he's out for two months. He comes back, plays three games, and breaks again. So um, that's a better policy, I think. And you know, maybe a policy. And it's not just Ancelotti. Obviously, they have other. Um, staff there looking after the sort of physical side of things and that was a big um, issue in the summer to try and solve. Maybe we'll see that with some other players too. Maybe when Carvajal comes back, he'll play two games and then rest a game even though he's not technically injured because um, better to, to have the players available for when it really matters than um, to burn everybody out and, and have a really long injury list in, in April or May. Um, one thing I think we didn't maybe touch on that much was Espanyol's second goal where Alex mm. Vidal makes yeah. a run, basically, I don't know if it quite stretched from his own half. I'd have to look at it again. But he started that with that ball pretty deep. And he mm. brings it up the field, and Nacho does this thing where, like, he's done this every single game this season. I actually wrote it about it about it last week. He just does this inexplicable gamble. And Ancelotti keeps on saying in the press conferences that we need to be more aggressive, we need to be more aggressive. You know, there are definitely moments like that where like one player is way too aggressive and no one else is as aggressive as him. And in that situation, I don't know why, like if you're gonna come out and try to get that ball from Alex Vidal, you better come out with it, otherwise you're screwed. And he comes, he just steps up, wasn't a strong challenge, he leaves himself vulnerable. I think he even gets nutmegged, um, I think that's what happened. And Alex Vidal just gets by him. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know what else there is to be said about it, I, all, other than that those gambles have cost Real Madrid, and probably somewhere in a in a room smoking a cigar right now is Luis Enrique, um, just happy mm. that, you know, that Nacho has, has failed because now he can justify taking Eric Garcia over and over again to the to the Spanish national team's call. But I, don't just think, make... I don't think Luis Enrique is, is that better. I think he's pretty self-assured that he uh, already knew that was going to happen, so um, he's just chilling, I think. Um, maybe watching this game to call up uh, Raul de Thomas, to be honest, because uh, it looks like your auntie's injured and uh, there's no striker. But um, sure. no, you're right. Nacho just goes like too aggressively, too amateur. It's like um, it reminds me. Like remember when that uh, what was it? The Netflix series came out, uh, the Queen's Gambit, all about chess, and then everybody was playing chess for like two weeks. So I knew the rules of chess. I wasn't good at chess at all, and I played a couple games with a friend, and I was like, right, okay, I'm going to put this queen 
there because I think that works. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, it got taken by a pawn. I'm like, ah oh, man, like I should have seen that coming. I should know better. That's Nacho. Nacho's the queen that goes all the way up the other side of the board thinking this looks like an opportunity to just win right now. And then, no, nope, you turn around and Alex Vidal's through on goal and uh, you look a little bit silly. But if you don't learn from your mistakes, um, if you don't learn from not just your mistakes when it doesn't come off, but if you don't learn from, like you're saying, Keon, the, the previous weeks where he's done similar, um, but got away with it. If you don't learn from the times when you get away from, uh, when you get away with it, that's a problem uh, because you need to be learning from uh, the times when when it works and when it doesn't work. Um, because if it's if it's foolish, it's still foolish even if you get away with it. Yeah, I I think one of the other things I wanted to point out too, this is kind of Nacho related, but more of a schematic issue. And and by the way, just even as much as Nacho made a mistake there, there are just big structural issues on that go hand in hand with individual mistakes. And that's just a bad combination, bad place to be in. But um, one of the chances that we conceded to Darder, one was the one, you know, you already spoke about that should have been the 3-0. I don't know if it was that one or, or one that was like two minutes later, but there was one where Real Madrid had a set piece and um, mm. immediately... That a, yeah, that was that a harder one, okay, the so, one so, one yeah. So the issue with that is that like, this is happening with Real Madrid this season. Whether it's a corner or a free kick they're taking, they just don't have... They're lined up in position in a way where if they don't score from that corner or they don't get a good shot off, there's no one to help in transition. And you saw that with Dardero, right? Like he just gets in. And somehow he misses, and th- those things, you know, I, it, it's it's a problem that needs to be recognized. That you can't you can't just commit everyone forward and and expect not to not to be hurt if you don't score right. Um, so things like that. It's just a lot of bad structure and bad individual mistakes on top of it, which is is really costing the team right now. Um, have we did we miss anything? What have we not talked about yet? I mean, I think that's pretty much. That's pretty much everything. Um, um, the one thing that stood out to me is is um, it's a long time for, for a chance to to put things right. Um, Real Madrid don't play for sixteen days now. A week on two weeks on Tuesday yeah. is their next game against Shakhtar away in the Champions League, and that's not necessarily an easy. Um, you know, let's warm back up with a nice, comfortable win. That could be, but we all remember what happened there last year. So. Um, because that late game is postponed just after the international break, um, it's uh, yeah a long time, sixteen days for Real Madrid to sort of sit and ponder these these two these two defeats and the the Villarreal draw. It's hard to think of because it seems so far away from the calendar perspective, but because of the international break and that um, and that postponement to the Athletic game. Our next I mean, like sixteen are... days is basically sixteen days is basically what preseason was last year. Like sixteen days <laughs> maybe is a more. long time. It's a long ass time. So our next two games are against Shakhtar and Barcelona. Those like that's just mm. that's where it takes True. us. Um, meanwhile, I mean the schedule is crazy for everyone. If you look at Atletico, Liverpool, and then they have Real Sociedad at home after that, um, mm. and then they have the Granada game before that. Uh, and I guess I'll just get your thoughts on this what's going to happen for barcelona they have <laughs> next three games valencia dinamo kiev and real madrid and like i was talking to diego about this on churros i think it was on friday where he said you know the classical is going to be hard but the kiev game is more important for us than the classical at this point like because we have to win that game is it because every time Kuman does bad things, which is like every game this season, yeah, there's a conversation of like, okay, he's gone. But like, I keep on thinking like, if he was gone, he would have been gone by now. Yeah, they can't. He can't be gone. They don't have, they don't have the money to fire him. Well, they do, but they can't afford to spend that on on paying off him, and they don't have money to to bring in someone else. If they if they do let him go, they'll have four million euros as is approximately the the money they have left in the the salary cap which includes coaches by the way they'd have four million left to to hire a coach for the rest of the year like of all the good candidates who's going to accept a job for uh for that amount i mean a coach in barcelona right now will cost you four million euros in therapy alone afterwards so you're <laughs> going to need to convince someone um with a bit more a bit more meat on the bones so 
Um, no, I mean, unless things go really bad, you know, I think he's there for a while. But that's the thing. What is really bad? And, you know, surely they win, you know, something, one of these games. They have an injury crisis too. They have Ansu Fati coming back. I was there last week at the Camp Nou when he played against Levante. And the goal was like the least impressive thing he did. The other like touches he had were just like sublime. He's he's special. And when he gets, you know, fit enough to start, <laughs> maybe in time for the classical, um, maybe he can do something. So Barcelona surely aren't going to have terrible results in all of these games. They seem to every now and then pick one out. Um, but yeah, I mean, the classical is a classical. It's, you know, form goes out the window. How many times have we seen one team come into the classical in amazing form, the other team in crisis, and the team in crisis wins, you know, 2-1 and all of a sudden flips the flips the scales. So uh, the classical is a unique kind of, uh, kind of game where you can just never predict what's going to happen. Well, I think like once they get to a stage, and I don't think it's that far away, probably even this week, uh, next weekend, or not even next weekend, October 17th weekend against Valencia, uh, that that should be the one where he starts. Because once he starts, it'll change mm-hmm. a lot of their attack and the way they can afford, they can just give Memphis way more help than they're giving you now. Because right now, mm-hmm. Memphis is alone. Um, so that uh, healthy Ansu starting week in, week out would change a lot. Um you know, so I, I think all of us, you know, Real Madrid fans, football fans would love to see healthy Ansu consistently, right? So um, hopefully yeah. he, he does get that, that health back to where it needs to be. But once he does, uh, that that is a game changer for them, at least offensively speaking. But so then my question was to you, let's say, and this this is terrible, terrible. I, this is going to come back to bite me. It's just a question. <laughs> but if he loses Valencia, loses Kiev, loses Real Madrid... Does that mean he's still coaching no matter what, just because they can't afford to, to keep him, or do they at that point they 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 just have to bite the bullet? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think there comes a point where um, where you're going to have to. I don't think it's going to be about results, to be honest. I mean, you know, if you lose, you know, ten games in a row, of course, but I don't think it's just about results because they've had the bad results. I think it's about um, some of the other stuff. I think it's about the performances. I think it's about for Barcelona fans, it's about losing. Their style, and then I think one of the things that speaking to a few Barcelona fans that annoyed them so much about the Atletico defeat was not just the performance and the result, but the way that Coleman blamed yeah. uh, publicly Nico Gonzalez, 19 years old, afterwards yeah. um, for not tracking Lamar for the first goal. I mean, you know, I get I get the argument that you know if you're old enough to play, you're old enough to to you know receive the criticism, but you know the guy is 19 years old. He's been playing really well. Him and Gavi have been a revelation, a breath of fresh air. And Coleman decided to, to attack him rather than, you know, some of the older guys who had just as poor a game uh, against Atletico, even if there maybe wasn't one individual action to highlight. So I think the the press conferences of Koeman are just as interesting as Ancelotti's for different reasons. But I think that gets the point. Sometimes he says some stuff where um, to you know, remove the blame from him. He does throw some other people under the bus, like his entire squad or a 19-year-old kid or the directors. That's, I think, what might get him sacked if he if he ever does go. Yeah, I think that's a big one. Uh, and, you know, a clear a clear difference between him and, <laughs> and Carlo Ancelotti. Um, but I think, I think we've exhausted it, Ewan. So um, I guess we'll, we'll wrap it here. Um, you'll be well. I guess you won't be at Shakhtar because that's in 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 Donetsk. But um, yeah, that's quite far. Yeah, you'll be possibly at the Camp Nou for the Costco. We'll see. And that's not so far. Not so far away. And then uh, and then uh, you know you have Real Madrid also soon after that, and some other things. And I'll, I'll likely see you in November at some point. Yeah, uh, that'll be long, good. It's we'll been a, it's been too long. What was it? The the March the Man City. Classical doubleheader in what was that March twenty twenty? It's been too long. Did we do a a post game podcast for Classical? That was uh, in at the Irish Rover as well. I mm. can't remember. Yeah, I think I was in there working, and then we went outside and sat somewhere dodgy and did a podcast. <laughs> yeah, and it was raining like crazy, but we found a a sort of cover. Yeah. Okay. If I had to guess, uh, I'll be there. Probably Real Madrid Sevilla end of November. Mm. That's that's, that's been my first game back since last Classico. But anyways, we'll 
Forget that. I, I look forward to seeing you then. And uh, thank you for all your work. Appreciate that. Everyone, keep it locked on Managing Madrid. All the post-game quotes that you and I discussed tonight are on the site and also plenty of other coverage. So keep it locked over there. And from a podcasting note, I guess we'll be back Tuesday. Matt and I, we're going to do a loan tracker on patreon.com slash managingmadrid, which is where you need to go to get access to a ton of bonus content if you like what we're doing here. So go do that, patreon.com slash managingmadrid. Ewan, thank you for your time. Have a great night. Take care. You too. All right, before we let you guys go, wanted to give a quick shout out to our $10 plus patrons who get a specific shout out on the podcast. So first of all, shout out to all of our lovely patrons and listeners, even if you're not a patron, we still love you. But those of you who are patrons, thank you so much for supporting the show consistently. It makes it actually possible for us to do this on a full-time basis. Helps us feed our families. It helps us do shows around the world it helps us to reinvest money into the podcast whether it's microphones whether it's travel expenses to do these shows and meet you guys and everything in between so it's not possible without you guys we wanted to really acknowledge that and make sure you guys know that we are incredibly appreciative and thankful for all your support shout out to these patrons specifically because if you pledge ten dollars or more you get a shout out on each podcast so shout out to brandon alvarez willie reed way pairing wamit jamal Umar Mahadi, Tyler Simon, Tobias Arroyo Bacher, Tahmid Kalam, Sujai Wani, Sumanchu Singh, Shivam Tiwari, Shabal Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorzano, Said Mahad, Saad Omar, Robi Tahiev, Rishi D, Raul Gutierrez, Raghav Potluri, Phoenix, Oscar Barrera, Nico Lazzo, Nicolas Zapatero Zubiare, Nick Ribeiro, Muxi Thangal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Marin Myrtle, Martin Ridman, Leon Sabernakis, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Karen Scherer, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Graham Gerard, <coughs> Gary Cohut, Frederick Antekiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Davisito uh, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toft, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Austin Fiori Erdman, Anthony Lombardi, Alexi Sanicero's <coughs> Excuse me. Alexi Sanicero's Al Adam Dorsey and Fabian Moreno. My my voice lasted just long enough to get that out. Thank you guys so much for your support. We appreciate you. We'll see you guys on Tuesday over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Love you all and Hala Mari.